So if you watch a lot of TV shows, and some of you I'm sure do, you know that TV shows have patterns. They, they usually follow a pattern. Now, most TV shows follow a particular pattern, but nowadays there are so many different TV shows that there are a million patterns out there. I want to go back to the day where TV was good and wholesome. Let's go to that first slide, Carol. That's right, Full House. When TV was good, back in the early, early 90s, this is when I was watching TV, TGIF, do you guys remember this, okay, where you had Danny Tanner and Uncle Jesse and, and Michelle. You remember this, Full House? I don't know. But there was a pattern to this show, and you knew how it was going to go. There would, it would start off with something funny, then you'd have the great intro song, then you would go into maybe two storylines, there'd be conflict, great conflict. Usually some angst about the teenage years or raising kids, and then at the end of the story, the music would cue, Danny Tanner would sit on the bed with one of his daughters, give a wonderful life lesson, everyone would feel good. And you'd walk away from the show, great. And you'd have a wonderful rest of the weekend. And that was your pattern. Do you, do you remember this? I feel like maybe this is missing. Maybe I should have used a new show. Okay. I just went with Full House. I'm hoping you, you knew what that was. That was the pattern. You were going to walk away at the end of that show feeling good because it was going to drop a life lesson. So patterns are important because you get used to them. And that's how a storyteller will tell the story. Now, that's important for the Gospel of Mark because we're now jumping into the final scene. This is it. And Mark's going to use a pattern he's been using over and over again to lay out the final scene. He's going to take this pattern of using unexpected people. He's going to put those unexpected people at the center of the action. And there he's going to reveal the key truth of the kingdom of God. That's what we're going to watch today. That pattern of watching an unexpected Unexpected people show up in really an unexpected circumstance, and that's the thing we need to pay attention to. And that's where we're going to find application for real life, like where you live. So we're going to jump in, chapter 15, verse 40. Jesus has just died on the cross, and we jump in to verse 40. We'll go here. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the younger, and Joseph, and Solome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. I just want you to we'll stop right there, two verses in. This is the key. This is the pattern Mark is going to use to get us to the final scene. He's going to have an unexpected group of women at the center. Now, I want you to just note, for those who may have not been tracking over these uh, 40-some sermons through the Gospel of Mark, I want you to just note how important unexpected people have been in this telling of the good news of Jesus. Just put up the next slide here. I want you to see this. So, unexpected people throughout the Gospel. There was a man with leprosy. This is a guy on the outskirts. No one cared about this guy. But he's the one who said to Jesus, you can make me clean. Right from the get-go. Out of the words of this unexpected guy comes words of faith. We need to pay attention. Then there was an unclean woman who had chronic bleeding. She's the one that had faith. Not the religious leaders, but the unnamed woman who was suffering. Then there was a non-Jewish woman 
who saw the global scope of God's kingdom, and she responded in faith. Then there was a blind man who could see by faith, but Jesus' own disciples, they couldn't see. And then there was an unnamed woman who knows that Jesus must die, and and she anoints him. The disciples, they rebuke her. Jesus praises her. It's all backwards. It's unexpected. And then we just saw two weeks ago a Roman soldier, a Roman soldier, a Roman soldier who just helped nail Jesus to the cross, a Roman soldier, this Roman soldier, he's the first to say Jesus is the Son of God. And so Mark wants to reveal key truths in the mouths of unexpected people. And now in the final scene, you have this group of unexpected women. I want you just to just want to note, we're going to summarize it before we jump into what happens next. We'll summarize it this way. In this final scene, Mark puts this, puts this group of women in the middle of the action, and this is why it matters. We should be ready for something special to be revealed, and when it is revealed, that's the thing you need to pay attention to. That's what he has done over and over. You pay attention to the people you never expect to say, the thing you never expect them to say, that's the thing you need to pay attention to. And so here, something's going to get revealed with these unexpected women sitting at the center of the action. So let's step into what happens next. These women see something that Mark wants to make sure we know they saw. Here's what happens. We pick up verse 42. It was preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. That last line closes the section in this final scene. These women, some of these women, see where Jesus is buried. Now, that's important because Mark wants to make sure that you and I know, every reader and everyone who hears the good news knows, Jesus was dead. He wasn't unconscious on the cross. He, he, wasn't, he hadn't passed out and, and then is resuscitated somehow in the grave. This, this isn't just some random tomb that no one would know how to find after he was laid there. This is a prominent person, a visible place, and he is really dead. And usually when Mark wants to make sure to get across a point, he will repeat himself. He'll make sure that in all the details he could share, he uses uses words that repeat themselves or repeat a particular idea so that he makes it clear that you get this. Let's take a look next slide. I want you to see how many times Mark uh, uses some word or phrase to communicate Jesus is no longer living. Eight times he, he, said, he uses some word or phrase to communicate that Jesus is no longer living. He uses body, dead, died, body, body, tomb, tomb, where he was laid. In those few verses, Mark makes it very clear, this guy is dead. There's no question. And so here, 
as this section closes off, you have the most unexpected people, this group of women, women who no one really would believe or really pay attention to, women sitting on the margins. They were disciples of a guy who was just executed. These are women's on the, women on the margins, unexpected people now in the darkest circumstance. Mark wants to make sure that we see how dire the situation is. There is no hope right here. This is hopeless. And at the center of the action is a group of people that are the lowest of the low at this point in the story. Unexpected people in the darkest circumstance, hopeless. That's where the section ends. And this isn't just randomly put together. Mark draws us to this point so that he can tell the final part of the story. Watch what happens. Make sure to note who is going to be at the center of seeing and discovering everything you're about to read. Here it is. Mark chapter 16, we pick up verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Solomon. Who is it? It's a group of women. They bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on, on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll away the stone, roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? And when they looked up, they saw the stone, which was very large. It had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? Go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. The first people to receive the message of the good news of the resurrection is a group of women. That's the thing you should pay attention to. That's the thing revealed that Mark wants to highlight. Jesus made death work backwards. And now it's going to spread into the world. Now, just so we're clear, I want us to make sure we understand exactly what resurrection means. This is something Mark has been building in the story. So let's go two slides. Let's go two slides forward. The resurrection means this. Multiple points here. Jesus is the king. You know who isn't king? Caesar. Caesar's not king. We could say maybe president, but Caesar in this context, Caesar's not king. Jesus is king. Death no longer has the last word. There's hope beyond the grave. The way of the cross is truly the way to life. And denying yourself to love God and others is the only way to the good life. That's what that tells you. Before the resurrection, it all looks foolish. Who preaches this kind of message and gets executed? No one in their right mind, unless they come back from the dead and stay alive. That's exactly what Jesus does. And so that means everything changes. Everything in the world now hinges on that empty tomb. It changes the game for real life. It means all of these things. That is, if someone has come back from the dead and is still living, reigning in the world, then that means reality has shifted. 
And everything's going to hinge on that. And that's exactly what we're going to see happen. So God's spirit raises Jesus back from the dead. And now that spirit and that news bursts into the world. And the message of resurrection spreads across the globe. And that's exactly what we see starting to happen. Now there are two endings to the gospel of Mark. Now, if you, depending on the Bible you have, the New Living Translation, the English Standard Version, the New American Standard, even the NIV has a note, you will see a note that, um, that describes this latter ending. So there are two endings. There's a shorter ending, and then there's a longer ending. Both endings are not in the most ancient manuscripts. So that's why current English translations put a note, because most scholars don't think that those endings were original to the first writing, Mark's original writing. Some scholars think because that these documents were scrolls, like literally a scroll, that at some point it got cut off from the bottom. And we, leave, we have lost that ending. At some point, it, most scholars think that these endings were added as a way of closing off the story. Because it, something about the story doesn't sit right with the women walking away afraid. But these two endings... Whenever they were added, tell us what was happening to this good news on which everything in the world hinges. Let's take a look at the shorter ending. This is a shorter ending. They briefly reported all this to Peter and his companions. Afterwards, Jesus himself sent them from east to west with the sacred and unfailing message of salvation that gives eternal life. Amen. That's the shorter ending. You know the key to that ending is the message went out across the world. Why would a message need to go to the world? Because it is the message on which everything else hangs. If you can come back from the dead by being connected to this person, then you might want to get connected to that person. Everything hinges on the story. And so this shorter ending says that that news went out to everyone. Let's take a look at just one section of the longer ending. You got this in your Bible. This is where you actually have verse numbers. I'm just going to read 15 and 16. And then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. Now, this isn't like God being mean. What this is, is everything will be judged on your relationship to Jesus. So if you are connected to the one who came back from the dead and you have his life, guess what? You get to be like him. If you don't get to connected to the person where there is life, guess what? You die. It's like taking a branch off a tree and setting it off to the side. What will happen to the branch or flower? I'll tell you what happens. It dies. My kids have been picking flowers off this vine at our house. Guess what? The flowers die because no one puts them in water. They just die. That's what happens when you don't get connected to the one who has life. What does this longer ending say? It says, if you don't get connected to this Jesus, then you will have no life. That's not God being mean. That's just logical. It's no more mean than just picking a flower and giving it no water. Now, you might call that mean or unethical. The point is, is it just is. So this longer ending tells us what's happening. Now, as Christians take the message out further and further into the world and they begin to explore it, they begin to really see how deep and how wide this message really is. And one of those early Christians named Paul wrote a little bit about how, how amazing that message is. And you know what sits at the center of how, much, how, how important that message is for your real life? 
Well, yeah, it has everything to do with the fact that Jesus came back from the dead and how his spirit now can be connected to your spirit. Check out what he writes, Romans 8, this famous passage, this famous chapter in the Bible. Romans 8, 10 through 11. Paul writes this, but if Christ is in you, and even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give you, give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. That means if, if the very spirit that brought Jesus back from the dead is now in you, guess what? You will also live in the new creation. You will also have a new body. You get to be like him. That's hope. And I'm going to tell you, I have a good sense of a lot of messages out there. I'm currently listening to a podcast that tracks the story of Tupac Shakur and the Notorious B.I.G. You ever heard these rappers back in the early 90s? Yeah, yeah. Let me tell you, they didn't always have nice messages in their music. There wasn't a lot of hope deep in those lyrics. That's just one example. We could go on and on and talk about TV shows and movies. My point is that this is the one message that gives you hope beyond the grave. And it's connected to reality. It's connected to something that actually happened. It makes all the difference. And then when that spirit gets connected to you, promising that you also will live forever, Paul says that's not just what, that's not the only thing that you can grab onto. Here's another thing you can grab onto. Look at verse 15. Verse 15 says this, The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Do you know it means? Do you know it means that you now have a father who says, I love you. I love you. That's what he says. That's because your spirit, that's now inside of you, connected to Jesus, now cries out, you are one. Now, if that's not enough, he's going to end this chapter with that great passage that I think maybe most of us know. If your spirit is calling out, saying you have a father who loves you and you're going to live forever, what could break that bond? If Jesus is living and his spirit that made him live is now in you and you're going to live, what breaks this? What's going to tear it apart? Here's the answer. Paul says it this way. Look, at how, look how important the resurrection is here. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? For I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons Neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That means nothing will separate you from life in the age to come. Nothing. Nothing. So when the tomb was rolled away and that dead body came back to life, that changed everything. It means you can have hope in any circumstance. I want you to draw, draw it now to this application. Let's go to this application. This is where I think it can get down into real life for us. God is still in the business of bringing things back to life. 
Now, let me say it another way. We'll do it in this next sentence. There's no situation so bad that God can't turn it to good through Jesus. Now, on that last one, if we really believe that, we would not do nearly as much complaining as we do. Let's just assume that in the election, November, in the November election, the worst happens. Now, I don't know what you think the worst is. Just whatever you think it is, let's just assume it happens. And let's say America falls, gone, and all of us are on the streets in January. Do you know that that last sentence is still true? And somehow this good God who is for you is going to turn it to good? Do you know what happens when you have that worldview, that mindset? Do you know what begins to happen? You start saying, thank you. You start having a heart of gratitude. Because you know that God is still for you. And there is nothing, nothing, nothing that can happen that he can't turn to good. And that he won't turn to good. And that means if you knew that everything's going to turn to your good, everything's going to turn to your good, do you know what we would start saying more often? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Isn't it interesting? I don't have the scripture up. What Paul tells Christians to do all the time? Say thank you. You know how often you're supposed to be grateful? Always. Why? Because the God who brings things back to life is going to make sure that everything is brought to good for those who love him. Everything. That sets the heart to gratitude. That means that whatever your tomb is, we all got tombs. We all have graves. We all have struggles. Whatever hopeless situation you have, God can turn it to good and bring it back to life. And I have a feeling that in 100 years, we'll all have a different perspective on what just happened over the last six months in the United States with the coronavirus. I just have a sense that we're going to see God doing some pretty amazing things when we have a larger and a bigger and a wider perspective. And we're going to see some God has done some amazing things. This isn't like just like, I'm not just in dreamland here. I'm not just living in Disney World in my head. I'm saying the fact that someone came back to life and now we have that spirit and he's still in the business of bringing things back to life, turning bad things to good, when he takes hopeless situations and moves them to your benefit because you love him, well, that's a place where we can grab hope. Let's do the last slide to drive it home. I think that God often reminds us of this. An unexpected, oh, wait, let's, yeah, yeah, sorry. God often reminds us of this in unexpected ways and through unexpected people. So can I just take everything I just said and how crazy it all sounded, even to me. Trust me, I say things that I think are crazy, but I just know they have to be true. I just want to say this last sentence then. If all that is true, this right here, we should be on the lookout for where God is reminding us of the good news that the tomb doesn't win. I have a feeling that in the same way God revealed for the first time that Jesus came back to life to a group of unexpected women, that he's got things showing up in your life in unexpected ways through unexpected people carrying that same good news to remind you that whatever your hopelessness is, whatever your tomb or grave, he can turn it to good. And he's bringing those reminders pretty regularly. So let me drive this to maybe an unexpected next step. Here it is. This is, I think, a next step. Something you can do this week. It might be a bad idea to just take this with you for the rest of your life. 
Take notice when something good happens or someone encourages you even while you're struggling. That's when you're like got hit with the diagnosis and you're scared and you get a phone call for a friend who just says, I just want you to know I'm praying for you and your spirit feels lifted for a moment. That, that lifting of your spirit just for a moment, that's a reminder that the tomb doesn't win. Be on the lookout for all those. They're going to come in unexpected ways. God's going to show up. And that is a message of the resurrection because if you love Jesus, he's bringing reminders that evil, the grave, hopelessness, none of it will win. You know, even as my kids are doing virtual learning, you know I've had some moments where I've been, I've seen some glimmers of light even in virtual learning, something I did not think would work. And I'm just reminded that even virtual learning can be good, can even turn to good. That's just real. Like, that's kind of where I'm living. I know somebody right now, their son, their son is mowing the grass, doing housework, and we're calling that home ec. Love it. Love it. And do you know what? When I see these things posted, do you know what happens to me? I smile. And I have been grateful, even in the middle of a tough situation, that's, that there's some light. And that reminds me that the tomb won't win. So be on the lookout for the people that are encouraging you. This doesn't have to be big on a billboard. The message of the resurrection is right there with you, right where you are. Now, if you just think that I'm just goofy out in the middle of the woods, there could be an element of truth. Like there is maybe a dimension there. But do you know what Paul was regularly doing to these early Christians? He was doing the exact same thing that I think we're trying to do here in this message. He was trying to get the Christians to get their eyes beyond the horizon to see their sufferings in the scope of eternity. I want to end with this passage, 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18. This is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things that we see now will be soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. Those things that will last forever are everything that is connected to Jesus. So we get our eyes beyond the horizon. We look for unexpected moments and we remember the tomb doesn't win. Even in your real life right now. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this message of hope. Thank you for how Mark put this whole gospel together. And now we ask that you would help get our gaze beyond the horizon. Connect us to Jesus, the one who lives today. And for him we are thankful. Now we pray in the power of him who came back to life, Jesus the Christ. And together we say, Amen.